I just want to encourage you, sometime do that, because how incredible is it to be able to hear not just the band playing, but the, but the congregation singing. And when you sit in the front, you can hear all the people behind you singing. It's just an amazing thing. And so um, I love it. You guys have sung well this morning, and I'm proud of you. Thank you for doing that. And as we worship, we have the opportunity to come together. Every time we come together to worship, we have the opportunity to do that through singing and through praise and thanksgiving. We get to worship through the Word as we read the Word together, as we study the Word together. We get to pray about it. We get to respond to it. And then, it's actually one of those things about worship that I think is incredible. As we leave here, we get to go put our worship into practice and cultivate a heart of worship every day of the week so that when we come into this place, instead of this place being about a recharge and a refill, which if that's what you need, that's fantastic. We're happy to pour into you. But what if you lived your life before Christ in worship every day in such a way so that when you came to this place on Sunday, it wasn't about recharging and refilling. What if it was about pouring out and giving and sharing with someone else the things that God has done in your life. And so, Jesus, thanks for prompting us in that. I'm so grateful for you. And, and Misael, thank you so much for leading us in, in the Word as we, as we read some Word this morning. That's really good. Well, it was great to see you all this morning. I'm so thankful that we get to be together today. I don't know, Misael, in this new arrangement, if you normally preach from up here or from down there. I don't know what you'd write here. That's what I thought. That's good. Well, we're going to be in two different passages of Scripture today, but they're all related and they all come from uh, the readings that we've done this week. So I hope that you're reading with us uh, through that Bible reading plan. If you follow the Bible reading plan with us all year long, it's kind of amazing what will happen. In the course of 365 days, you will have read the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice over the course of 365 days. And so if you, if you haven't started with us yet, that's great. Just jump in right where we are. If you started and then maybe you got a little bit behind, that's okay too. Just don't try to catch up. Just start right where we are. And if you're caught up, great job. And if you look at it, it generally averages about four chapters a day is about what it is. Um, it's a little less than that some days, a little more than that other days because of the, the length of the chapters. It takes about 20 minutes on average to read it. If that just seems a little overwhelming, well, maybe find a way to listen to it on your ride to work or school or, or, or maybe listen to it as you're working out or doing something else around the house. You, you can listen to the audio Bible and you could do it that way. Or you could say, well, instead of all four passages, I'm going to read one of the passages every day. Doing something is better than doing nothing and, and being consistent at some level is better than inconsistency. And so I hope that you'll join us in that and I hope that you've enjoyed that. But we're going to be in two different passages of Scripture today and, and that's going to, be, it's going to be really good. We're going to take a look at, at a topic uh, here in just a second. We'll take a look at those Scriptures in just a moment. But before we do, I thought we'd play a game. Is that okay if we play a game? That'd be all right? Okay, that's good. We're going to play a game. Some of you have played this game before. It's like it's church on Sunday morning and the lights are kind of dim and we're like, oh, game. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so let me ask you the question again. Uh, would you like to play a game? Oh, there we go. That's good. That's awesome. Uh, so we're going to play. It's a simple game. It's a simple game of would you rather. You've played a game like would you rather before. So here's the first one. Go ahead and put the first picture up on the screen. Would you rather eat broccoli the rest of your life? Or would you rather eat dessert the rest of your life? Which would you pick? Y'all are, are a bunch of freaks. That's all I'm saying. I'm hearing the word broccoli. 
It's going to make your whole digestive life interesting. That's just, I would pick the desserts. I would not pick the broccoli. Okay, let's try this one. Here's another. Let's do that. Would you rather spend the rest of your life cleaning toilets? Would you rather spend your cleaning, or would you rather spend your life on a beach? On a beach. So you're not as big a freak as I thought you might have been. That's good. That's, I'm proud of you. That's really, really good. How about this next one? Look at this one. Okay, would you rather never have any personal time at all to do anything that's just fun and be extremely wealthy? Would you rather be that? Or would you rather just have a balanced work life and maybe not have everything that you ever wanted and every dollar that you could ever get, but just have a balanced person. Which one would you rather have? Balance, balance. That's really, really good. Good job. Good job playing. Give yourselves a hand. That's good. That's nice. You'll notice that we didn't give out any fabulous prizes or anything like that, so I'll just give you respect. Good job. That's awesome. And so, um, yeah, would you rather? You know, sometimes to me it feels like our life is really spent before God in this giant game of would you rather. And, and the would you rather is really about our approach to temptation. That's really what, what it's about. Would you rather do this or do that? And in the middle, God has given us, well, not really in the middle, but even before we face the temptation, God's given us this clear instruction that says, here's how your life will work best. And then we spend our lives being tempted to do it any other way but God's way. And so it's like we're facing this giant game of would you rather. I could do it my way or I could do it God's way. God's way is blessed and beautiful. My way hurts. It may be great in the moment. It may be awesome right this instant. But it leads to a place, well, actually the Bible says that Giving into temptation leads us into sin, and as we sin, that ultimately leads to death. That's actually James chapter one. Um, you know, let no one say he is when he is tempted that he's tempted by God, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. That's James chapter one. And so it feels like our entire lives are just spent in this giant game of would you rather, and it's the choosing between would I rather do things God's way or would I rather give in to temptation and satisfy my desires my way at every corner. And so today we're going to see from Scripture a story about a man who faced temptation and overcame that temptation. We're going to start, though, in another part of our reading. This is a story that we read in our readings this week from Genesis 39. But also, as we read, we also read something in the New Testament this week. It's actually in Luke chapter 17. And so one of the things we like to do to honor the reading of God's Word sometime in worship is we'll stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? And we're really just going to read one verse. Actually, we're going to read part of one verse. And at the end of that, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, to just acknowledge the fact that this is not me talking. This is actually coming from God's Word. And then you'll respond in worship Praise be to God. Does that make sense? So Luke chapter 17, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, and he, that'd be Jesus, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. I'm just going to stop right there. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you so much. You can be seated. Now, the rest of our time today, apart from just some other side references that I'll use, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. And I'm not going to have us read all of chapter 39 of Genesis because it's a long chapter, but it's a great story. And I don't know if you know this story or not. Maybe you're really familiar with Genesis. Maybe you've been, you've kept up with your Bible readings. But in Genesis chapter 39, we're in the middle of the story of Joseph. And one of the incredible characteristics of Joseph that I just find fascinating is that throughout all of Joseph's life, he was faithful. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to his family. He was even faithful to people who were outside his family and faithful to the people that hurt him the most. He was just one of these men that was faithful. You remember, if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph was the one who, he had a lot of brothers. You know, he had a bunch of brothers. The, actually, the brothers become the 12 tribes of Israel, and so he had a bunch of brothers. And when he was younger, Joseph, he had this dream, so he was a dreamer. And in his dream, he saw his brothers and his mom and dad all bowing down to him. Now, I don't know about your relationship with your brother, but every time I looked at my brother and said, I'm big, you're small, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm fast, you're slow. Every time I did that, that didn't work out really well for me, even though I was big and he was small and I was smart and he was. Never mind. Um, and today he's like six foot two and way, you know, he's the tall, dark, and handsome one. And I'm the short, round, and loud one. It's just weird how God does that. But... Um, but Joseph, early in his life, would have these dreams, and then he made this brilliant decision to tell his family, hey, one day y'all are going to bow down to me. That's what my dream says. I think the dream's from God. So he was a dreamer. But being a dreamer, his dreams were frequently derailed. And in the derailment of his dreams, started with his brothers. His brothers were really jealous of him. They were really envious of him. His dad gave him this really cool coat. It was a coat of many colors, and they just were really envious of the coat. And so they plotted, his brothers, they plotted to kill him. And in the plot to kill him, one of the brothers, Reuben, speaks up and says, Hey, well, let's not kill him. Uh, I know, let's sell him. <laughs> so they sold him into slavery, and his dream was derailed. They took his coat of many colors, they shredded it, they sacrificed an animal and made it look like he was eaten, and they took that back to his dad and said, hey, look, we're so sorry, Dad, Joseph was attacked, he's been killed. But really, Joseph, they threw him into a pit for a little bit while they were trying to decide what to do, and then they sold him into slavery. And so Joseph finds himself in Egypt, and he's serving in the house of, of a military man in Egypt, and that military man's name is, is Potiphar. So he's in Potiphar's house. And when we get to Genesis chapter 39, what we see in Genesis chapter 39 is the continuing story of how Joseph's dreams are constantly derailed. You just kind of see that. But before we continue the story, I want to make an observation about temptation because that's actually what this story is going to be all about today. I said that one of Joseph's greatest qualities of character was that he was faithful. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to his family. He was faithful to people that weren't even his people. He was even faithful to the people who hurt him, some, hurt him the most. And so one of the first things I want to observe about temptation today, because you've experienced temptation, right? You've experienced that. The would you rather, would I rather do it my way or would I rather do it God's way? You've been through that. There's lots of different ways to experience that. Well, the truest test of your trust in God is how you handle temptation. That's really the truest test. The truest test of our trust in God is how we handle temptation. 
So if you want to know how far along you are in your walk with Christ, if you're trying to measure whether or not your relationship with God is tight or whether or not your relationship with God is distant, all you really need to do is take a look at how you handle temptation. Because here's the thing. Temptation is going to come. And do you know why? Remember, James chapter 1 says that, uh, you know, we can't say when we're tempted that we've been tempted by God because God doesn't tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. So God is not the author of our temptations. But God is the author of our appetites. And that's actually part of what makes temptation such a struggle is that God has taken great delight in giving us appetites. And then as he gives us an appetite, he also prescribes a way for that appetite to be satisfied. God takes great delight in giving you an appetite for something and then satisfying that appetite for something. Uh, uh, A while back, I celebrated a birthday And one of the things that my family knows that I enjoy is there's a restaurant called Texas de Brazil. Have you all ever been to Texas de Brazil? It's the place I go to have a meat coma because it's all-you-can-eat meat of a thousand different styles and varieties. And it's it's not the kind of place that you want to go to having already eaten something, right? You want to be totally empty. You know, you want, you want to have not eaten for a while because you want to be filled to the full with all this glorious meat that you're going to eat at Texas de Brazil. And so they were trying to surprise me with it. They didn't want me to know exactly what was going on. And, but, and, and so all day long, they were trying to keep me from satisfying my hunger because they wanted to take great delight in surprising me with this incredible meal. Well, when it comes to our appetites... We have appetites for lots of things, right? God's given us, God's designed us to be people who have appetites. And then God takes great delight in satisfying all of those appetites. He just takes great, he gave us a need for food, right? God gave us this need for food. And at the same time, he gives us this biblical mandate that says, but, but don't be gluttonous which maybe when I go to Texas Day Brazil, I step into gluttony (laughs) just a little bit. When I'm around the dessert table, maybe I step into gluttony. But he gives us an appetite for food and then says, be careful of gluttony, Don't, don't overeat. And then God gives us an appetite for rest. There's just a moment when we need to work hard and then we need to rest. But at the same time, Proverbs tells us not to be lazy that we should work when it's the right season to work, and we should rest when the season to rest is right. He's given us an appetite for that. Actually, God's given us a need to work, right? That's actually started all the way back in Genesis. Again, part of our reading, all the way back in Genesis, God gave us this need to work, and at the same time, he challenges us, don't overwork to be rich. Don't do that. And in Galatians, he says, if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. And so there's a balance there. we got to do some work, but if we overwork to be rich, we could destroy our lives. And so God's given us an appetite for food, and he's given us an appetite for work, and he's given us an appetite for rest. He's also given us an appetite for our sexuality, right? He's prescribed who we are sexually, and God takes great delight in defining the context where sex is blessed, 
And he looks at us and says, I've given this to you as a gift. And it's a gift to be satisfied between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. And in that context, satisfying that gift is beautiful and it's blessed. But outside that context, over and over again, Scripture calls that appetite. If you try to satisfy that appetite apart from God's prescription, apart from God's design, if you do that, he reminds us that that is the kind of relationship that can burn us. Actually, in Proverbs chapter 5, it says it's like we're taking hot coals off a fire and bringing them into our chest and burning ourselves when we try to satisfy that particular appetite outside the context of what God has prescribed. God's given us these beautiful appetites, and he takes great delight in satisfying all of those appetites in his way. And here's the challenge that we face. We get impatient with God, don't we? Don't we just, either we get impatient or don't we just think we know better? Or don't we just think, man, it just would be so good right now. I know I'll suffer for it later, but right now in this moment, this is what I need. This is what I want. It's going to make me happy now. I'll pay the price later. We just think we know better than God. I think that's why the truest test of our trust in God is how we handle temptation. Either we believe him when he says he knows best. Either we trust him that he's the sovereign, powerful uh, controller of all things. Either we trust him and that, or we don't. Either we're going to receive his instruction and his guidance or we're going to totally reject what he has to say and rebel against it and say, God, I got this. I know better than you. I know, that's so antiquated. The idea that you wouldn't have sex outside of marriage, that's just, that's so antiquated. God, you don't know what you're talking about. I know better. That idea that I can just eat whatever I want, whenever I want, the way ever I want. I, the, the idea that I can, I can overwork for this season and be happy in all the other seasons. I can, I can be lazy and just not do anything and, you know, somebody else is going to take care of me. All of those things become the temptations that we face. They become the, the would you rather. And so... When I think about temptation, temptation is it's when you try to satisfy a God-given desire in a way that rejects God's intended plan. That's what temptation is. Temptations, that's when you try to satisfy a God-given desire in a way that rejects God's intended plan or God's intended design. Now, let me tell you some more about Joseph. Remember, he was a dreamer. And his dreams were derailed. He gets sold by his brothers into slavery. Now, let me tell you how faithful Joseph was as a man. Instead of letting his dreams being derailed cause him to go, I'm just not going to work. I'm just not going to do anything. God, it feels like you failed me, so why should I ever try to be successful for you? Why should I try to do the right thing ever? Instead of doing that, Joseph gets sold into the house of a, of a, of a, of a soldier. His name's Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, Joseph continues to serve God and to serve Potiphar, and he does it really, really well. He's just really good at what he does. He does it so well that Potiphar begins to trust him for everything in his household. And maybe you've experienced something like that in a business that you've been a part of or maybe in a class that you've taken where suddenly you look up and just because you're doing the right thing the right way for the right reason, people around you start to notice and they start to trust you with a little bit more and a little bit more and suddenly you look up and you're one of the most trusted people in the room. Well, that was Joseph with Potiphar. He's a slave 
And the Bible says in Genesis 39 and uh, the verses and chapters before that, it tells us how faithful Joseph was to Potiphar and that he just be, he was successful at everything he did. So much so that the only person in Potiphar's house who had more influence than Joseph was Potiphar. So you've got this soldier in Egypt who has a slave standing beside him who's almost as influential in his own household as the man who owns the house. And this guy, Joseph, is a slave in the house. He's withheld nothing from Joseph because he trusts Joseph so completely. And in Genesis chapter 39, here's what happens. Potiphar has a wife. And Joseph is an attractive young man. That's what the Bible says. Joseph was attractive. And Potiphar's wife begins trying to seduce Joseph. Uh, she hits on him over and over again. <laughs> Dude, you look good. <laughs> um, and it happens over and over and over again. And it's interesting to see Joseph's reaction because the first time Joseph is polite. No, I'm not going to do that. Your husband, Potiphar, has, he's trusted me with everything in his household. He's withheld nothing in his household from me except you because let me remind you, you're his wife. <laughs> I'm not. He's a soldier. I'm not. I'm just a slave. But beyond all of that, he's your wife or you're his wife. So no, I'm not going to do that. So he's polite. But time and again, she keeps coming back. And isn't that the nature of temptation, right? It's not like I say no to temptation once and, you know, one and done. I'm good. Look at me. I passed the test. No, that's not how that works. Somehow it just keeps showing up. It just keeps showing up. I have a thing for ice cream, right? Ice cream is my thing. And we have this magic freezer at my house. It's amazing how it works. I open the door to the freezer and there's ice cream. And so, of course, being the faithful husband that I am, I eat it until it's gone. And then magically, the next day, I open the refrigerator or the freezer door, and look, there's ice cream. It's crazy how that works. And even on those times when I'm trying to resist ice cream, even those times when I'm trying to do the right thing, if I open that freezer door, I can know it's going to have ice cream in it. Isn't that the way temptation is for you? It doesn't just happen once, it keeps coming back. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. She kept trying to seduce him over and over and over and over again. And every time, again, it's just the amazing faithfulness of Joseph. It's just that, another great example that the truest test of our trust in God is how we handle temptation, how you handle temptation. Over and over again, Joseph said no. And then in Genesis 39, her advances become so strong that she grabs his robe. And when we say robe, I don't mean like the only thing he's wearing. It's like his hoodie, right? He's, she grabs his hoodie. And she's trying, she's trying to force him into a physical relationship. And Joseph's response is awesome. He's kind of done being polite. And so he just removes his hoodie, kind of leaves that with her, and then runs he just runs out of the house. He's like, whoa, I'm out of here, you know. And, and so, man, he did the right thing. That, isn't that awesome? He did the right thing. Could we just give Joseph, I don't know if he can hear us right now, could we just give him a hand right now? I mean, wow. Well done. 
I don't know how many of you are single or how many of you are married, but have you ever been pursued by someone before? Someone who finds you attractive? Someone who thinks you're pretty cool, you're pretty good looking? I'd like some of that. You know, have you ever been pursued by someone? That's hard to resist, isn't it? Whether you're married or single. I can't tell you how many couples have sat in my office and somebody's been unfaithful. And the excuse that they give was, I wasn't looking for this. But this other person who wasn't my spouse, they pursued me. And so see, it's not really my fault I was pursued. I just gave in to the person who was pursuing me. I don't know how many single people have sat in my office and they're struggling because they're dealing with the effects of a relationship gone bad or they're dealing with the effects of a physical relationship that went further than they expected and now they're managing some of the consequences of that. And the end result is they're looking at me going, but they pursued me. They like me. Isn't it nice to be liked? Isn't it fun to feel attractive? Isn't it exciting to just know that there's somebody out there who admires you in such a way that they're going to pursue? It just feels good. Yet God says, in that temptation, I just want to remind you, I've given you a prescription for how I intend for you to be, and everything I have for you is far better than anything outside of my will. So in this moment where in the context of being single or in the context of outside of your marriage, expressing your sexuality outside the context of what Scripture defines as right, God's saying, will you just trust me? Because everything I have for you in the future is better than this wrong relationship that's pursuing you right now. Truest test of our trust in God how we handle ourselves in that moment. It's what we choose to do in that moment. And this is that space where, again, dang, Joseph, good job. You ran from sin. You ran from the thing that God said no to because you wanted to run towards the thing that God said yes to. And I don't know if you know the rest of the story, but it's a little tragic. Again, we've got Joseph the dreamer, and originally his dreams were derailed. Well, guess what? Once again, his dreams are derailed. Potiphar's wife. I think it's interesting. We know Potiphar's name. We know Joseph's name. All we know his wife's name is as Potiphar's wife because she was wrong. But she accuses Joseph of coming on to her. She accuses Joseph of trying to do things with her that she was trying to do with him. And the end result is Joseph is sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit. Well, that stinks. Come on, God. I did the right thing. And now I'm going to jail for it? Did you know in Scripture we never see Joseph react that way? He just goes to jail. Actually, in the rest of the story of Joseph, he didn't just go to jail, but in the prison, he does exactly in prison what he did in Potiphar's house. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to his family. He was faithful to his friends. He was faithful even to the people who hurt him the most. And Joseph eventually is the one running the prison, except for the warden who's in charge. He becomes the second most influential person in the prison. Joseph ends up interpreting some dreams, and then he gets forgotten in prison a little bit. And then the Pharaoh 
king of Egypt has a dream. He can't understand it. None of the magicians in Egypt can, can understand it. None of the wise men. And then somebody remembers, oh, yeah, there's this guy I met in prison. He could interpret dreams. Let's talk to him. And so Joseph comes into, he's called into Pharaoh's court, and, and Pharaoh tells him his dream, and then Joseph interprets the dream. And the dream is about seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh is so impressed. He goes, Joseph, you're the one. You need to save us from this famine. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, rise, I'm, I'm going to raise you up in power. And Joseph ended his life by being the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And it happened because he was faithful. Yet in his faithfulness, there were many moments along the way where his plan might have been derailed. But in the middle of every derailment, in the face of every temptation, Joseph did the right thing. Ultimately, he meets his brothers again, and they don't recognize him. He has a chance to get revenge, and he chooses not to take it. And in not taking revenge, again, he's faithful to the ones who hurt him most. And it's out of that that the children of Israel become this mighty nation inside of Egypt and experience prosperity like they've never experienced before. And it all began with Joseph the dreamer, his dreams being derailed. But at every turn of the, the clock, at every step, at every temptation, Joseph made the right choice. He proved his trust in God by handling temptation the right way. So I wonder about you. How do you handle and how do you face temptation? See, I'm, I'm just reminded of, of something in this passage. When Joseph resists Potiphar's wife, he goes to jail for it. That doesn't sound fair. Come on, God, really? He did the right thing and he went to jail for it. I think maybe we ought to recognize it's easy for me as a preacher, it's us for us as people to talk about, oh, there's a clear right, there's a clear wrong, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. But man, when temptation is at its most challenging, is not in a moment like this where we're talking about it kind of philosophically. It's in that practical moment when it's just you and that guy together alone. When it's just you and that girl and you've got just some unhurried time together and nobody's going to know. And it's just you and that temptation by yourself. And here's the thing. Resisting temptation, I see it in Joseph's life. I think we just need to be honest. Resisting temptation will always cost you something. It will. It will always cost you something. For Joseph, it cost his freedom. He went to jail for a crime he didn't commit. But the price of resisting temptation is always worth it. Had he not resisted that temptation, he never would have made it to the place God had prepared for him. I wonder what temptation you're facing today that you need to be willing to pay the price to say no to. Because in paying that price today, it'll lead you to the place that God's designed specifically for you. I'm going to spend the last four minutes of our time together looking at one more verse, actually two more verses. Proverbs 4, verses 14 and 15. 
Proverbs 4, verses 14 and 15, they say this. Let me turn there real quick. It actually gives us a pattern for how we can pray that, pay that price. It gives us a pattern for how we can resist temptation. Proverbs 4, 14 says this. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Verse 15, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. You know, when you face temptation, God's given us a strategy for saying yes to his will and saying no to our desires. And Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 tell us, how do we, avoid, or how do, how do we overcome temptation? We avoid it. Do not travel on it, turn away from it, and pass on. Here's the way I would say that. In the first place, don't go there. If you know it's a place online that feeds your temptation, don't go there. If you know that unhurried, alone time with your significant other is a problem, then don't arrange for unhurried, unplanned, unscheduled alone time with your significant other. If... Like for me, I have a thing for desserts. Maybe spending all my time at the dessert table is a bad idea. If you struggle with the words that you use, if you're constantly, and by, if you're constantly cursing people, and by cursing, I don't just mean cuss words. If you're just constantly mean, nasty, and vile to people, if you're just like that, how can you arrange your life so that you don't go there? How can you do that? So that's the first thing. Don't go there. Avoid it. That's verse 15. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Avoid it. Don't go there. Do not travel on it. Well, okay, if I find myself in the way of temptation, there's temptation all around. So I, I went there. I'd, maybe I didn't even know I was going there, but I went there. Well, don't stay there. Don't, don't stay there. If you're in the space where temptation, I, I grew up, Surrounded by people who drank, and I was surrounded by people who, who abused drugs. I, I was surrounded by that. And when it became clear that that's where they were, I wasn't. And I did that deliberately. I loved them. I cared for them. And when it became clear that was the direction they were going to go, I just decided, I'm gonna, okay, I'm here. I'm in the middle of it. I'm going to be kind, but I'm going to leave. And that's what I did. Avoid it. Do not uh, travel on it. So don't go there. Don't stay there. Then the next part is uh, turn away from it. Turn away from it. Okay, it's right in front of me. It's right here. It's right now. Isn't that what the word repent means? It's, to, it's a change of direction, change of heart that leads to a change of direction. Okay, I'm facing it right now. I'm, I'm going this way. I'm not going to go that way anymore. Actually, I'm going to run so fast that like Joseph, I'd just leave my hoodie behind. I'd rather, I'd rather leave something behind and suffer the effects or suffer the consequences of doing the right thing than continue going down this path that I know leads to destruction. I'd rather do that than dishonor God. Actually, I think that was Joseph's ultimate heart. God, I would rather die than dishonor you. I'd rather be imprisoned than dishonor you. I'd rather my reputation take a hit. I'd rather people think I'm weird. I'd rather fill in the would you rather. I'd rather do anything, God, than dishonor you. So you turn away from it. And then finally, you pass on. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. The last one is to pass on. Here's the thing about passing on. Some of us have 
stepped boldly and proudly into temptation. We're so deep into satisfying our appetite for sin that we're begging everyone around us to call our sin righteousness. That's you. It's a way out. Because in your heart, you know that that way doesn't work. You've experienced the hurt that comes from the choices that you're making. You've experienced the way your choices are hurting someone else. You've experienced the way someone else's choices are hurting you. And all of that, the Bible calls sin. And it's that sin that separates us from God and it breaks our relationship with people. And it is so much more satisfying to leave our sin behind and to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, for the things that pertain to life and godliness. It is so much more satisfying to do that than it is to just sit soaking in the, the, the depths and the effects and the nastiness of our sin, but sometimes we're just so comfortable with the sin that we understand and the and the and the the environment that's around us. We're just so comfortable in that that we can't imagine it being any other way. But scripture's really clear. Jesus, what God has done through Jesus can remove your appetite for sin and replace it with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The idea of pass on is the idea that God knows you've sinned and you know you've sinned. What would happen if you would simply take that sin and pass it on to him? Jesus knows that on our own, we don't have a way of escape. So the Bible is really clear that Jesus, he came and he lived a perfect, spotless life. He never gave in to temptation. He was surrounded by temptation, but never concerned that any of that sin would get on him. And he lived this spotless, perfect life. He ultimately gave his life on the cross at Calvary. He willingly sacrificed himself so that he could receive your sin. That's how you can pass it on. So that he could pay the punishment and the penalty for your sin so that he could give you his righteousness, so that he could make a right relationship for you and for your heavenly Father. And so today, I don't know what temptations you face. I don't know what sin you're stuck in, but I know this. Your heavenly Father loves you, and his desire for you is to walk in his ways. And he knows that we're weak on our own, but through Christ, we can have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. If this is one of those things with which you struggle, God, I'm stuck in my sin and I don't know the way out. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ. Well, I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that today. Through prayer, you can simply ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to give you a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's the beginning. That's the first step of your walk and your relationship with him. 
And so if that's something that you've never done before, or you don't know about or don't fully understand, after this service is over and as we sing here in just a minute, I'm going to be down front and Misael's going to be in the back and there's people all around you who would love to talk with you more about how one day at a time, one step at a time, you follow Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sin. And then there's another group of people here today, and that's those of us who are believers And you know what? Those who are believers, we struggle with temptation too. I'm just going to remind you, the truest test of your trust in God is how you deal with that temptation. And so today, maybe you've been stuck and you have trouble overcoming one temptation. Maybe you've just been stuck in that. Well, maybe you ought to find someone to help you with that. Someone who you trust who can hold you accountable. Maybe you could come to the altar and say, God, I give this to you. Help me today to avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Not to go there, not to stay there, to turn away and to give it to you, Father. How can you help me do that? Who can you give me to help me with that? I don't want to live by the world's rules anymore. Maybe during our invitation today, you should talk with someone. Or maybe you should come to the altar and pray. Maybe just right there at your seat, you should say, God, I give it to you. Help me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we're thankful that you have overcome sin and temptation in our lives. Thank you so much for the delight you have in giving us appetites and then satisfying those appetites. Would you, Father, please help us to satisfy all of those appetites according to your intended purpose and plan? Would you give us the patience and the faith to be like Joseph, even when our dreams are disrailed and even when troubles come because resisting temptation costs us something? Would you give us the faith to follow you and to be faithful to you? Would you give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Would you allow us to be the people who stand in that place where we would say, I'd rather die than dishonor God. So help us to be those people today. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.